Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Greetings, and welcome to another episode of Conflict Radio. Today is July 9th, 2020. And today we're going to be doing another controversial video. We're going to have Douglas Van Dorn on the show. He's the author of Waters of Creation, A Biblical Theology of Baptism, Galatians, A Supernatural Justification, Giants, Sons of Gods, Covenant Theology, A Reformed Baptist Primer, From the Shadows to the Savior, Christ is the Old Testament and the Unseen Realm, Q&A Companion. He has pastored the Reformed Baptist Church of Northern Colorado since 2002. He co-hosted the radio show Journey's End in 2011 to 2012. He has served on the Administrative Council of the Association of Reformed Baptist Churches of America. He has been married to his extraordinary and beautiful wife, Janelle, since 1994. They have been blessed with four amazing girls and one gracious and loving God. He has climbed all 54 of Colorado's 14,000 feet mountains and also Mount Rainier in Washington and Mount Shasta in California. Now we're going to talk about giants and then we're going to get into conspiracies of the Bible and conspiracies from a biblical standpoint. And we're going to talk about some controversial topics, including QAnon. So for that reason, this is going on the old channel, Conflict Radio Official. It's not going to go on the new channel, because I don't want to get anything striked on the new channel. If you're a subscriber of the old channel, and you're just now listening to this, might I suggest you hop on over to... The Conflict Radio Network on YouTube. You can search us. You can also find Conflict Radio on all of the normal podcast catchers, including Apple iTunes and Spreaker. So definitely uh, get over there and check those out. You know, I really don't know what to think of the whole QAnon thing. We talked about this, I guess, a few episodes ago. We decided to learn about it some then, and we're going to dig a little deeper into it now. You know, it's very interesting. It is an interesting concept to think about. So that's what we do here at Conflict Radio. We present you with, with things that you just need to think about. 
You know, don't get too wrapped up in, in one side or another side. Always try to stay open-minded because you never know what's really going on. We don't have any idea what is really going on. I truly believe we're like ants on an anthill. You know, an, an ant on an anthill isn't paying attention to the planes that are flying over, right? I, f- I think that's what we are. I really do. We don't have any idea what's really happening in the big picture. So it's important to always keep an open mind. And here at Conflict Radio, we are not going to avoid talking about something because YouTube might not like it or Google might not like it or whoever might not like it. Okay, If Republicans don't like it, I don't care. We're going to talk about things that are interesting and we're going to talk about things that just need to be talked about that we need to learn about that i think that that need to be paid attention to and, and q and q anon is definitely something that should be paid attention to because it's if this is if this turns out to be true you know and a lot of a lot of the listeners of conflict radio believe that jfk was shot by somebody other than Lee Harvey Oswald, or that there were multiple shooters. We all believe that there's something more to that story than what we're being told. Well, the same could be said about what's going on today in today's world. Don't think for a second that they're not pulling a magician's trick on us, making us watch one thing while they're, while they're doing something else. So... Just try not to get fixated on one thing. Always keep an open mind with open possibilities to anything. And, uh, you know, that's all we can do is just try to try to learn. Learn all you can from all kinds of different sources. And, and definitely don't take past the, the pastor coming on. Don't take pastor's word for it. Don't take my word for it. Don't take anybody's word for it. Go and do your own homework and research. You know, there's a lot more out there to be learned than what the mainstream media is telling us. So, with that being said, we're just going to take a break and be right back with Pastor Douglas Van Dorn. Welcome back to Conflict Radio. We're with Doug Van Dorn. He's written quite a few books, Giants, Sons of the Gods, Waters of Creation and Conspiracies of the Bible. Doug, you there? How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on your show. Man, uh, it sure is great to have you on. Uh, why don't you explain to us first, if you could, Giants, Sons of the Gods. is, is a book. You put a lot of research into this. I, I've noticed uh, all kinds of great reviews about the footnotes and, and everything else. I haven't had a chance to read it. But if you could just give us a summary of, of what do you mean by uh, giants, sons of gods? There were giants on the earth once? Yeah, so I think many people, even if they aren't Christians or whatever, uh, probably heard of Goliath, the story of David and Goliath. And David's the king of Israel, and he kills this 10-foot-tall uh, Philistine giant with a slingshot and a rock, and, and uh, they kind of just... Who knows what they'll do with the story, but at least they've heard of that. So what a lot of people don't know is that, um, first of all, there were 
at least four other giants that were mentioned in the very same breath as Goliath in the book of uh, Samuel. And um, they were all killed at various points in time by David's uh, mighty men, his army that was with him, his special entourage. Um, and then it also gives a lineage for Goliath and tells us where he came from. And, and it uses this, this name, Rapha. And it could be the word Rephaim, or it could just be a guy's name, Rapha. But um, when you start, you know, they're not going to bring that up unless there's something earlier in the Bible that uh, talks about that. So you go dig in a little bit, and you find out that there are these, uh, this giant clan that's called the Rephaim. And um, they're way back in the days of Abraham, which is probably a thousand years earlier, nearly, than David. And um, there's this chapter in Genesis 14 where um, just before the story of Abraham and Lot, you have um, a bunch of armies from the east going down into the land of Canaan. And there's this huge struggle and battle that they fight with all these, these tribal clans. And they're called the Rephaim and the Anakim and other things like this. And those turn out to be all giant clans that are talked about in the days of Moses. So all of this goes back even earlier to a really strange um, four verses in Genesis chapter 6. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this text or not, but um, I can read it for you. It says, when man, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, so that's a subtitle of the book, Giant Sons of God. This is the reason why. The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Uh, then the Lord said, My spirit will not abide in man forever, because his, his flesh and his days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men of old, the men of renown. So it turns out this, this word Nephilim, a lot of people think that it comes from a word that means to fall, uh, as in like fallen from heaven or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's a, it's a word play, but it actually doesn't come from that. It actually comes from a word that means uh, a giant. And so the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Old Testament's written in Hebrew, and they translate it into Greek about the year 200 B.C., and that translation actually uses the word giant there instead of Nephilim. So the giants were on the earth in those days. And what happened was, it says, the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. And so the earliest interpretation of this in the Christian church and in Judaism, both of them, um, is that the sons of God are heavenly beings that rule over the nations uh, sometimes they're called watchers. Um, sometimes they're just called angels, although that's not a very technical word for them. Um, but they're, they're heavenly rulers that rule over the nations. And um, so they come down and they see the daughters of man. That's literally the daughters of Adam. And they find out that they're beautiful. And so whatever happens, whether it's decent marriages or rapes or you know, there's all kinds of weird speculation what was going on. DNA manipulation, <laughs> you know, we, nobody was there, so we don't know. And they bore them children, and these become these giant, these giants that end up uh, 
actually becoming a really interesting sub-thread of the entire Old Testament. They, they become the, kind of the chief embodied physical enemies of God's people. So the giants are, are offspring of, of angels? Yeah, that's correct. A lot of people get, get this wrong, um, but the sons of God would be angelic beings. And it's important to understand, I'm sure we'll get into this later, but an angel, uh, when, it can, when it comes down here, there's passages that we have that they, be, they can be embodied in some way. So like in Genesis chapter 18, um, Abraham's outside hanging out under his tree, and he sees these three men come to him. And one of them is actually called Yahweh, which is the word uh, translated as the Lord in English Bibles. Mm. And then two others are clearly not human beings because they end up going in the next chapter to Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy the city and they're, where they're called angels. And so what's so strange about that is they're walking up to Abraham. He sees them. And he gets so freaked out about by what he sees that he runs and tells, you know, his family, we have to kill the calf. And it's like, they're here. They've come. They've come. I can't believe it. And uh, it says that he washes their feet. And then it says that they eat with him. So it's some kind of a physical embodied existence that we don't, don't, at least I don't understand what that looks like. But nevertheless, that's what happens. So. The Nephilim then would be the offspring of human and angels. And we actually find this in mythology all around the world. So the Bible's just telling the same story as everybody else. And I think the reason for that is because it's true. <laughs> so how tall are they? So conservative, which is the way I like to be when I'm talking about these things, is that they're between uh, six and a half feet and going up to 12 feet. And that's 12 feet is pretty much top end as far as I'm willing to go. At the, at the peak of their presence on, on the planet, how many of them do you think that there were? Uh, great question. So I don't know that we know all where they were, so that would be kind of hard to answer. But mm-hmm. in, terms of the, in terms of what the Bible tells us and the story of it, they, they do seem to have been centered in the land of Canaan. There's a whole... The whole strange reason why. So, where where would Canaan be today? Canaan is is Israel, uh, okay. the, the the nation of Israel. And in the north side of Israel, there's a really big mountain called Mount Hermon. And in the traditions of the Jews that they talk about in a book called First Enoch and and other places, and in fact the Babylonians talk about this too. Uh, Mount uh, Mount Hermon was this that was like the landing spot where they came down. And so, I guess naturally, that's where they would populate um, the earth with their offspring. And so you end up finding that, that for example, when Moses goes into the land of Canaan, um, there's this chapter in Deuteronomy 2 that talks about how he's making his way through kind of the, the nations that are around the land of Canaan. And it says that, well, this giant tribe used to be here, but these people destroyed them. And then this giant tribe used to be here, and then these people destroyed them. And there's like five or six tribes that are mentioned. And so, you know, that would be a significant number of people. Um, And then when Moses goes into the land, it says that basically there was only 
uh, one or two kings that were left. One of them is a guy named Og, and his bed is uh, 13 and a half feet uh, long. So you get the idea that this was a big guy, and and um, he, uh, Moses was commanded to destroy them. So uh, in terms of the land in Canaan, they, they certainly had it filled, but they also uh, were destroyed by kind of all the normal folks that were around because these were not good good, good guys. So, so the the angels that came down were they allowed down by God, or were they were they cast down? Were they, they bad well, angels? Were they good angels? Uh, so, the way that it's talked about is that they, they, like it was permitted. So, I believe in a sovereign God who does who does everything that He wants, but sometimes He can permit things, uh, even so, even though it's in His like his decreed will or something, he can still permit for things to happen and still be in control of it and, but yet not be responsible for, so it's not like God sent them down, but it's really, it was a rebellion and they actually call it a, they took an oath upon themselves and they cursed themselves if they wouldn't all go through with it. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing all of this is pre-flood, right? Uh, yeah, the stuff we're talking about in Genesis 6 is pre-flood, so that's the chapter that begins the story of the flood. And then, so there's that verse that says they were there and also afterward. And then, so that's where, you know, in the days of Abraham and Moses and David, that's obviously all after the flood. And so there's there somehow there are giants that are there both before and after. You know, obvious question is, well, how'd that happen? <laughs> Yeah, there are there are stories of um, I'm guessing that you know like museums and archaeologists and stuff have discovered ruins and and, and giants, uh, I guess tombs and things and 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 giant bones that they've hidden and suppressed from us. Do you think that that's true? And and why would they do that if so? <laughs> okay, so uh, at one point in the book, I kind of give what I think is a. Uh, a migration of these guys. So I think that most of them were around the land of Canaan. And then when they were, you know, when people were fighting them, they, some of them survived and they, they, uh, they lived and then they, they flee to the North and to the West. So they end up going into the Mediterranean to the Island of Cyprus. They go up into the land of Turkey, modern day Turkey, which is the biblical Galatia. Um, then they then they get kicked out of there and they move up into kind of the northern areas of Germany and France. And then we have stories of like Julius Caesar. Uh, he's like he they they can take anybody. The Roman army can take anybody except for these crazy berserkers who are giants that hop over horses and stuff up in the land of Germany. That's <laughs> some really weird stuff. Anyway, the Romans end up uh, defeating them. And then they seem to have fled farther northwest to the island of Britain and then to the island of Ireland, where you get all these the myths of the giants there. And then my opinion is that they actually made it over to North America. And so I, I'm guessing that the stories that you've heard there of your question are about giant bones that were discovered in North America. And uh, so there's like literally a thousand different reports that we have from 1750 to the early 1900s in the, in North America of people finding giant bones, um, particularly like in the area of the Ohio Valley and stuff, but also down your way, down in the, down in the deep South. Um, so I do think that there were people over here that were giants. 
Um, I think it's possible that the bones were stolen, although when you read some of the accounts, sometimes it'll say that the bones were so old that they just almost disintegrated right away. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's a whole conspiracy theory about the Smithsonian taking the bones and and uh, covering them up and, you know, the reasons why they would suppress this and because they don't want people to know that there were ever giants or because they're trying to make them come back. I mean, you get kinds of all kinds of weird speculations, and I don't, I don't usually try to go there, so... So if the angels came down and pretty much bred with man, what happened to the angels? So the angels were locked up. So you go to the New Testament in the books of little tiny book of Jude. It's the book right before Revelation. And then um, right before it is a book called Second Peter. And they both talk about how the angels were basically locked up in the lowest part of hell uh, until the last day of judgment. So those original angels that did that, they were confined and 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 shut up, um, and they're not they're not with us anymore. If you go to like Greek mythology, they kind of tell the same story. It's the story of the Titans uh, fighting the Olympians, and so Zeus is fighting Kronos, and Kronos is Kronos is basically the a pre-flood angel, and then Zeus would be like a post-flood angel. And then if you've ever seen like uh, the movie. The, the newer movie of the Clash of the Titans where you've got Prometheus, like he's locked into the rock or whatever, and he becomes kind of almost a weird rock monster. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the idea that that's going on there, that, that they were bound and they, they couldn't get out. Do you think there's still, do you think that there's angels on Earth today, but they're they're more of like the good angels? No, I think there's bad angels that are here. And yeah, I obviously think that there's good angels too. I think there's both. Now, would we would we notice them as being angels, or, or can they just take a, another form, or are they hidden away? Great question. So I don't, I'm not convinced that all angels are the same species of, uh, you know, whatever they are up there. Um, so, like, there's a passage in Hebrews that says that uh, some have entertained angels unaware, and that would seem to indicate that they can kind of look like us, and you may not even recognize that they're different from us. But at the same time, you also have different stories of like particularly these sons of God and what they looked like that they were, you know, they were really tall, like eight feet. And they had uh, just features about them that were they were humanoid, but not quite human. So I've often wondered if if some of this isn't actually playing into the whole UFO phenomenon, but I haven't never written on that. (laughs) Yeah, now that's that's thinking that. The angels, I guess, are really the the aliens that we see today, right? Yeah, that would be kind of the idea. What do you What do you think about that? Have you Have you researched any of that? Sorry about that. That's all right. You need to get that. Nope, I don't think so. I just hung up on him. <laughs> <laughs> Did you catch the question? Or uh, so yeah, you're talking about. Um, do I think that the angels and the and the ET thing could be the same thing? Yeah, yeah. I think it's possible. Uh, there's another. So there's another aspect to this you need to understand. So a Nephilim is uh, he's a half breed, right? So his his dad is from heaven and his mom is from earth. So then the question becomes in the mind of an early Jew and an early Christian. Well, so what happens to them when they die? Like where does their spirit go? So because they're not from heaven and they're not from earth, they said that, well, when they died, they filled the air. And so these become the spirits of the air. 
which become the demons. So an early church definition of a demon is that it is a dead, disembodied giant from uh, something like Genesis 6. So in other words, a demon is not a fallen angel. An angel is an embodied creature, okay? Okay. Um, in some way or another. A demon would be a disembodied creature because it's lost its physical body. It had one, it died, and just like us, when we die, our soul is separated from our bodies, and that would be the same thing. So these guys then become, that becomes the explanation for what a demon is. So go back to the UFO question. I think that it's possible that you have both things going on, that you could have, um, you could have angelic entities that are embodied somehow, and that you could also have demonic entities that are disembodied that, you know, and they could maybe manipulate minds or thoughts or, you know, whatever. And because the UFO thing is, it's a complicated phenomenon. So to me, that at least helps you think about a little bit more for, at least from a Christian worldview. Yeah. So you're saying that um, the giants, when they die, their their soul becomes a demon, right? Yeah, that's the idea. So there's so are they are they prejudged then just because they're angel and human hybrids? I mean, do, or do they have a chance to become good good souls and go to heaven? So that's a great question. People ask me this a lot. Um, like so, from a from an outward point of view, they're an abomination. Um, but so there's this passage in when Moses is going into the land of Og, where God basically says, "Offer him an olive branch and tell him that if he lets you pass through, um, you won't destroy him." So that seems to me God is acting graciously towards this giant, and you know you can't make a one to one, but it seems to me that it's at least rational to think that um, God would offer them uh, salvation. In With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Christ, if they would take it, and if they would trust in the God of Israel and trust in, you know, if there happened to be one today, if he heard the, heard the gospel and came to understand who Jesus was and bowed his knee to him, that God would save him. I, I don't have that hard of a time believing that he would do that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, why wouldn't he, right? I mean, that's you know, why wouldn't he? Exactly. I mean, they they there's some kind of human humanness to them, you know, and it and it just gets weird because, like, let's say you're a hundred percent giant, which would be a half and half, 
what happens if you had a kid with a woman? Now that kid is a fourth and three-fourths, and then they have a kid, and now it's an eighth and seven-eighths, you know? And so it's like, <laughs> it just it becomes kind of a, an absurd question. Yeah, so, well, it, it also really goes down the chain, too. Like, you know, I, you could imagine that if, you know, there's giant and angel, or I guess angel DNA in humans today, would there not be? I think it's possible. I don't, I mean, I don't know the answer to the question, but it's possible. I don't know how we would ever know what the answer would be to that either. Yeah. Unless we're an angel that we could like extract DNA from and test. Yeah. Or if an angel would even have DNA. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. Another great question. Who knows? Yeah. So, so what, what caused the war between the humans and the giants? Great question. So this is the reason I wrote the book. Um, so you, you can get into the whole uh, world of giantology. There's non-Christians that write about it. There's Christians that write about it. Most of the Christians that are writing about it are using it to kind of uh, do a lot of weird speculation about the future, and then they're making a lot of money on it too. And I decided I didn't want to. Do, I didn't want to do that. So my book about giants is really going from Genesis to the New Testament and talking about how there's this uh, there's this war that is predicted in the Garden of Eden. So the story is that um, Eve is there and Satan is there and Satan tempts her with the fruit. Will you eat it? You know, will you want to be like, uh, the, the old King James says, do you want to be like gods, um, having your eyes open and stuff? And so she's tempted and she does it. And so then the Lord comes and he curses the serpent. And then he, there's this, there's this verse in Genesis 3.15, and uh, this is what it says. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. So the you is the serpent and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. So this is a, pro a prophecy that um, there's going to be a war between the seed of the serpent and the serpent there. By the way, I don't I don't believe that that's a talking snake, and I actually don't even believe that it's a possessed snake, like a demon-possessed snake or something that was caused to talk. I think I think it's a wordplay on some ideas of that are surrounding what uh, a seraphim uh, a seraphim shining fiery angel is. Um, so what I imagine is that a humanoid-looking creature that's a that's an angel came down and starts talking to Eve. And so, you know, that kind of explains a little more of the Genesis 6 idea. And um, so there's this prophecy that the serpent's going to have a seed and the woman's going to have a seed and there's going to be a war. At, and at the end of the day, your seed, Eve, is going gonna, is gonna to destroy his seed. So that then becomes kind of embodied in a, in a physical way in the Genesis 6 thing that we talked about. And then uh, starting with Abraham and that war in Genesis 14, and then going all the way through um, Moses and Joshua fights giants and David fights giants. And every time it's kind of like the guy who shouldn't win, the little guy, but who's God's chosen people, they end up beating the giants and destroying them and, you know, um, knocking them back and whatever else. And so this, I mean, this, the storyline goes all the way through the whole Old Testament. Then you come to the New Testament and you got Jesus, uh, who's the son of God, which is an interesting title. 
and based on the fact that these other guys are called sons of God, right? He's the son of God. Mm-hmm. He's the capital S son of God. These other guys are created sons. He's the uncreated son who actually spoke their existence into being. He comes down and he incarnates and becomes a human in the, in the womb of the virgin, which is similar to Genesis 6, but also totally different. So here you have, he's not, he's not a half-breed. He's not half God, half man, which is what a giant is. He's fully God and fully man. Never been anything else like it, never will. And he comes and he becomes for us both the Son of Man and the Son of God. And during his ministry on the earth, he's always casting out these demons out of people. Can you remember what a demon is in the, in the mind of, a, of those people? They are the disembodied Nephilim. And so what that means is that you actually have the war continuing in him, where now the, the battle is as simple as him just saying a word. And he casts these demons out of people, and they can't do anything about it. They have to go where he tells them to go, you know, flee into a herd of pigs, um, leave this person. Whatever he tells them, they have to do. And then, so he's, he's showing that he's powerful over them. And then kind of the climax of that whole story is that he ends up dying on a cross, which is, an act, which is a conspiracy um, against the Son of God that was really plotted out by both humans and supernatural intelligences. And when they killed him, they thought that they had beat him. But little did they know that the whole death of Christ was actually going to be the great reversal. And it, he would end up... Uh, um, defeating them by first going, uh, descending to the place of the dead and proclaiming his victory over them and then rising from the dead and um, ascending to heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father above all of these uh, supernatural entities. And so he ends, up, he ends up winning this great victory over them and that's the fulfillment of um, he will, you know, he will bruise the head of the of the seed of the serpent and he ends up defeating them and that basically that's the story of the bible so it sounds like there were still giants around post-flood yeah absolutely yeah so abraham moses um david all these guys are post-flood and they're all fighting giants so how did they survive the flood so we don't know if they did survive the flood. There's like all kinds of um, yeah. speculations of what happened, right? So, so like there's Jewish stories that say that the, that this Og, Og um, giant, that he he uh, hitched a ride on Noah's ark, and Noah let him uh, do that, and he fed him through a hole in the ark. <laughs> like I don't think that's probably true. Um, there's other stories, you know. Some ideas are like. Well, it wasn't a universal flood, and so some of them just lived because the flood wasn't everywhere. And so I, I really don't think that that's probably true, because the whole point of the flood was to destroy all flesh from the earth. Um, so the best explanation to me is that uh, after the flood, God, God promises Noah something. He says, never again will I flood the earth because of what you guys have done. So what if you're an angel there, and you know that, during the flood, God locked up your buddies who came down here and did this. And now all of a sudden you hear that promise and maybe you're tempted to go, well, he swore he wouldn't do it again. Why don't we come on down? Well, so, he, he could do it another way. 
Yeah, well, yeah, obviously. He can <laughs> yeah, destroy the fire, but you never know. There's also um, the story of the Tower of Babel kind of plays into this, believe it or not. Okay, uh, why don't you, uh, how, how's that? Okay, so the story of Tower of Babel is like um, men build this giant, uh, it's basically a ziggurat. Um, it's basically a man-made pyramid, like the pyramids or what you'd see in Mexican pyramids or something. Um, and the purpose of those was uh, to be a meeting place between heaven and earth. Um, it's like it's called the cosmic mountain, is what it's called. It's like it's like Mount Olympus, if you know the Greek stories. Same mm-hmm. same exact idea. The gods live on the top, and then they they uh, come down to Earth, and they you know start doing stuff here. So the idea of of, Gar- of Tower of Babel was that the men there were creating the mountain in order to kind of reconnect and reestablish what they had hoped would have happened in the Garden of Eden. Uh, when there was that same kind of a connection where the heavenly being comes to the to the woman. And so it's like, this is not a good thing, what they're trying to do, trying to contact the supernatural world. So it's quite possible that during the Tower of Babel story that this is when uh, things went haywire again. Okay. Now, that's also how, uh, I guess... When when I hear about the Tower of Babel, what comes to my mind is, you know, the different languages that we speak today. Yeah, yeah. Can you, can you go in? Can you go into that at all and, and tell sure. us how how that how that came about? Well, I don't know how it came about. I know that. Um, so the story is that they they're just about ready to connect, and then God comes down and He sees that this is not a good thing. And so it says that he scatters men over the face of the earth. And then it says that he, he gives the, he, every, every nation that's there that's scattered, he gives them their own language so that they can't work together, so that they can't do the thing that they had just tried to do again. Okay, so the languages create all kinds of animosity and stuff between, between the nations, and then they just start fighting each other instead of being unified in like the early world early version of a one world government or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how come with the, with the power of translations and everything else, have we not done that again? (laughs) Yeah. There's reasons why, um, I forget. I think one of the, one of the, uh, apps you can get like learning apps for other languages is called the Babel app. Like that's not a coincidence. Yeah. right. Google translate. You just type in any language that you want and it'll just translate it for you. It's kind of creepy, if you ask me. Yeah, but how come we haven't tried building another tower? Oh, how do you know that we haven't? Well, that's true, I guess. What if uh, people are doing this in secret or, you know, that kind of thing? Well, I'm sure we would see a big tower, right? I don't know. I don't know. So, I'm... Some people think that the Bigfoots that we see today and Sasquatch and, uh, you know, things like that are still giants today that, that are giants. They're really giants and they're, and they're just in hiding. Do you think that that's possible? Um, I'd say it's probably not the case, but I'm not going to say that it's unrelated to this. I, I tend to think that there's probably something to the Bigfoot thing. Um, but like, first of all, what is it? It's usually just a hairy ape of some kind. So um, there's like, there's no evidence at all that that is any of any scientific value. I don't think 
other than maybe foot. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Prince, but certainly not like DNA or anything like that, that demonstrates that we've ever caught one or, you know, that kind of thing. So a lot of the stories about the Bigfoots are really kind of stories that I think fit better into like, um, a demon story where it's there and then it just disappears or something. So maybe it's possible that it's some sort of a, a demonic entity of some kind. I wonder, I wonder why they would, why the demons would be so angry with us. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, like why, why would they want to possess you know, humans today, like, why, why are they so angry? Are they angry because, because God has, like, put them in hell, I guess? Yeah, that, that, that's certainly part of it. Um, so God, there's more of the, there's more of the Bible storyline that I think can help answer that question. So when God made Adam and Eve in Genesis 1, it says that he gave them dominion over the earth. Okay, so dominion of the earth did not belong to the angels, and so by definition, it also wouldn't belong to a giant because he's a half angel. So we're the ones that were given rule and stewardship of this place. So now you come down here. So let's say you're Satan and you, you, know, you were there watching God create everything because you were around. And um, now you're like, man, this, is a, this place is beautiful. And then God makes this man. And you're like, that's pretty cool. And then he says, and to you, man, I'm going to give this place. And then... You know, you're Satan, and you go, what about me? How? Why don't I get to have dominion over it? And so that actually becomes a, a really good reason why the, the angel, some of the angels would be really ticked off at man just simply because, because of what God did. And uh, so there's this whole plan that God has that um, at the end of the day, man is going to uh, ascend again and and carry out perfect dominion over the earth. And he ends up doing that through the God man, Jesus, who ends up obeying perfectly where uh, Adam and Eve fell at every point. So he kind of, he brings back what they lost. So now if you're a demon, the same thing, I think the same kind of an idea would be true. So you're a demon. You don't really have a place here on the earth or in heaven, you know, uh, then, you know, uh, for whatever reason, these creatures are, are really wicked uh, in the first place. Like, they do really bad things. If you go and read the book of Leviticus and the hard things in the law that makes people want to throw the book across the room because they don't understand it or it's so boring. Well, if you think about the things that they were told not to do, don't 
act this way. Don't do these things because this is what the people in the land of Canaan did. Just pure wickedness, wickedness and filth and abominable, you know, actions and activities and stuff. Okay, so you're already a bad person. Then you die, and now you've been disembodied, and you have to haunt the earth. Like, you just have to roam around. Well, that could tick you off. So, first of all, what is a demon possession? What is it doing? Well, it's seeking to be back into a body, isn't it? It lost its body. Yeah. Now it wants to possess another body. So, it, But it's not its body. So you can just kind of see how the rage would would kind of grow and fester over the course of centuries and centuries. And then some of them are confined to hell. And the Bible definitely talks about how there's, you know, the demons, uh, hell was made for them. And the Old Testament talks about how some of the Rephaim are there kind of, this is, they're there and you don't want to go there and that kind of stuff. So, so, so you're saying some demons are, are trapped in hell. They can't leave hell, but some demons can come in and out of hell. They can go from the earth to hell like at their choosing? I don't know if they can or not. I've wondered it. Um, I do think that there are some that are confined there. And we, we have stories, again, in the book of Enoch that says that uh, it says something like nine-tenths of the demons were judged and confined to hell, but one-tenth were left to roam the earth to kind of tempt man. And it's a really weird passage, but... Um, you do get you do get the idea that they're in both places. Whether they go back and forth, uh, po- I think it's possible at this point in time. But it, at some point in time in the future, that won't be possible any longer. They'll be they'll all be confined, and they'll be they won't be allowed out. So the the Book of Enoch, you, d- you just mentioned that that's not in the Bible, is it? No. So so for people who who don't know that are listening, who is Enoch, and and why is his book not in the Bible? So Enoch is found actually before the story of the flood. You go back to Genesis um, 5, I think it is, and uh, it's giving this lineage of people between Adam and Noah. And Enoch is the seventh guy listed in that lineage. And it says that Enoch um, was a holy man, and he walked with God, and then it says then he was no more. And the idea is that he just, he was so righteous or so close to the Lord or whatever, that God just took him to heaven. So this guy becomes like, it's hard to say, it's hard to say if like there was oral tradition surrounding him that survived the flood through Noah and his sons or whatever, Mm -hmm. or if there was like just people were embellishing his story and writing their own stories like somebody would today in a fiction book or something. Okay. But whatever the case is, there was this whole uh, group of books that they call the Enochian literature that was written before the New Testament, and um, this kind of was this was kind of some of the the main uh, extra biblical reading. If you were a Jewish person, you went to the bookstore, you'd be like, "This would be the number one bestseller." <laughs> so, so why would so why is it not in the Bible? Is it because it? It's not confirmed like all the other books are? Yeah, so the whole idea of of how we get our biblical books is a – it's kind of a complicated one. Um, What I believe is that that the biblical – is that the the Bible found us. We didn't find the Bible, if you want to put it like that. Okay. When – for example, when Paul's writing a letter to a church, it – 
the letter itself was inspired and breathed out by God, and the Christians recognized that it was the Word of God. Um, it found them. And so how we, how we ended up getting all these different books into the Bible was really more a process of um, they were always just accepted as biblical from the beginning. So you've got two testaments in the, in the Bible, a, whole, a bigger Old Testament and then a shorter New Testament. And um, the Old Testament is where we would find Enoch if it was part of the Bible. And in, in basically all of the, all of the um, collections of Scripture that we have uh, from before the New Testament was written, and this comes from, I don't know if you're familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls. Have you ever heard of those? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the scrolls were found in a cave in Israel in the 40s, and they uncovered all these all these different kinds of books. And one collection of books was the Bible. And then they had other collections of books that were not in the same same place that were just the kind of extra-biblical literature. And that's where Enoch was found. And then you found other things like recipes and, you know, grocery lists and <laughs> that kind of stuff. And they were found in different places. So the point is that the Jews themselves never recognized this book as Scripture. Now, it, it's actually true that there's one branch of Christianity in the Ethiopian church that actually has First Enoch as part of its Bible. Um, and there were a couple of church fathers that seemed to talk about it as Scripture. But for the most part, it just hasn't been recognized as, as such. And, you know, when I read that book, um, I take it quite seriously, and I think it's telling a lot of true things. But it also doesn't say anything that you can't find in other places of the Bible. So it really doesn't need to be there, even though it embellishes stories like the giants and stuff like that. Um, but I, 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 do, I, read the, I read the book, and I take it as, a, as something that's telling history. Um, Jude quotes from it directly and says that Enoch said this, and so it would be like it would be like kind of like me reading a you know a famous Christian today and putting a, a quote from him in one of my sermons that I thought was a good quote. Mm -hmm. Like I don't I don't I don't throw the book across the room because it's not the Bible. You know I, I take it as a commentary on the Bible. So it was never in the Bible. It's not like it was in the Bible and then the like the Catholic Church removed it. It was just never right. there. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Were there books in the in the in the Bible that that the Catholic Church pulled? So there's a collection of books they call the Apocrypha, and Apocrypha means um, what, what in the world does Apocrypha mean? Off the top of my head, can't remember. But it's basically it's basically a writing that um, is like as high a level as you can get to be taken seriously, but still not considered scripture. So like, if you look into a Catholic Bible, um, you'll find the Apocrypha there. There's like 13 books of it. Mm -hmm. And you look at the most Protestant Bibles and you find that they're not there. So it's like, what well, did the Protestants take those out of the Bible? No. Um, the Catholics themselves never considered them as like fully scripture. They just, they considered them so important that they thought that they should put the collection into published Bibles, but they put them off in a separate section that they actually, they actually call the Apocrypha. So, so uh, 
that helps or not. How how do they determine what what's considered scripture and what's not considered scripture? Yeah, like I said, it's a it's a self attesting thing that when when God's people read them, they know that this is God's word. So in other words, it's 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 the authority, not not the church. The Bible's the authority, not the church. And they just they just simply always recognize what these books were. That's just kind of a matter of of historical fact. Okay. It's kind of, it's a, I understand it's a different way of thinking if, about canonicity so, than most people are aware of. <laughs> so so if, if this, what I'm trying to say is is it it just seems like there's there's a huge cover up going on to try to not look at this as a as the actual past like the giants and the angels and the and the and the nephilim and and whatnot i'm just trying to figure out why why the suppression why 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 so it's a great it's a good question so part of it is and i i don't really well it's it's sort of complicated all right so you have to you have to understand that that biblical history is really it's really two different kind of time periods. There's before Jesus and there's after. So my view is, and I just wrote a book on the angel of the Lord, and uh, he's a major figure in the Old Testament. And my view is that the angel of the Lord is the son of God. He is Jesus, but before he became a human, okay? When, when Jesus Christ came into the womb of the Virgin Mary, he didn't begin to exist at that point. Because he's God. He's eternal. He's always existed. So he's there in the Old Testament. He's just not a human. He, he takes another form. He takes the form of the angel of the Lord. The point is that the people in the Old Testament, when they, when they were true believers, they were believing in him. He was their God. Okay? He would come and he would talk to Moses like a man talks to a man face to face. He would come and Abraham would wash his feet. And if you're an Israelite, then you hear those stories, and then God confirms them with miracles, and you go, okay, I believe in this person. So at some point in time, I suppose it probably was always around from the very beginning, to be honest with you, some people believe that, and some don't. Okay, so when Jesus Christ then comes in the form of a human in the womb of the Virgin, some of the Jews accept him as their God, and some of them don't. And those who don't, which are mostly in the New Testament, they're called the Pharisees, which are, was a ruling class of kind of priests in, in Judaism, they're, they're actually trying to kill him for three years, and then they eventually succeed, because they're like, this guy's blaspheming, calling himself God, and there's no way this guy is God. So they just simply don't believe who he is. Okay, so after Jesus dies and then Christianity starts to spread, um, all these Jews are converting to Jesus, and to, they're becoming Christians. And so what's happening is Judaism is actually losing people to Christianity. Then something else really important happens in 70 AD. This is when the Roman army comes into Jerusalem and totally destroys the city. A million Jews are, are killed and murdered by the Romans. And they're separated to the four winds of the earth. They have no home anymore. And so what happens is Judaism as a religion is becomes it's in serious crisis. And these guys, um, these uh, Jewish leaders, they're like trying to figure out how can we save our, our religion and our identity. 
And this is when they start writing all of their oral tradition down. And they also made a concerted, deliberate attack on Christianity by changing a very, very few things in their scripture in terms of how it was interpreted before and saying, you're no longer allowed to interpret it this way. We don't believe this. And one of those things was this Old Testament idea that the sons of God are angels. They said, no, you will no longer believe that. What these guys are is just, um, I think they believe that the sons of God were like um, uh, human rulers or something like that that took ordinary women. So they, they, what they did is they de-supernaturalized it. And there's a motive for it. It's because they were losing all of these Jews to Christianity. That's a pretty good motive. If you're trying to save your religion, then you don't even have a home anymore. Yeah. Hmm. So that, that happened in Judaism. And then Christianity was a little different. I think what happened with them was that, um, frankly, the, the book of Enoch, because it was not really considered scripture, just kind of... They stopped copying it. And remember, back in those days, there's no there's no printing press and there's no Xerox copy machines. You couldn't just go over to there and and copy the Bible. You had to spend a lot of time and a lot of effort, get uh, great expense and cost to recopy these books. And so the Book of Enoch just kind of fell out of use and it was lost to the history of time. And and uh, so by the time that you come to about 400 A.D. You've got um, Augustine, probably the most famous church father, who reads this story about the uh, giants, and he just says, this is the most ridiculous idea I've ever heard. Angels uh, mating with humans to create giants? No, I don't believe it. So basically he just, he had lost the story. They had stopped telling it. Um, They had lost kind of some of the major books that elaborate on it. Um, they, he didn't have the internet, so he couldn't talk to. He couldn't look up what the church fathers believed about it, and he just said, "I just don't believe it." And he became so popular and well known that basically the church just followed him and said, "Yeah, we don't believe it either." So for a thousand years in the church, um, they just lost this story, and Judaism's been even longer. And then what happened was it's about two hundred years ago now. Uh, some British dude goes down into Egypt because he had heard that there were copies of the Book of Enoch floating around. And, like, you have to understand, they, they hadn't had this book in uh, any form in the West for a thousand years. And he goes down to, to Egypt, and he actually finds a copy, brings it back to England, and he translates it into English. And all of a sudden, um, this old story that had been forgotten had been recovered. And ever since then, I think the supernatural uh, storyline has been kind of making a comeback. But that's kind of the kind of a long explanation to answer your question. Yeah, it it just seems like uh, I don't know, like even even talking about it. Well, take for take for example the new movie Noah, I guess with um, oh what's Aaron, that what's that guy's name from Gladiator yeah. with uh, yep, yep. Russell Crowe. Yep. <clears throat> The the creatures in that were those were those giants in the in the in that movie. Those are like um, just a weird Hollywood um, perversion of. I think the I think they, those were called golems. So he's actually taking that from Babylonian mythology. 
there's so there's definitely a relationship. But actually, use that no use that no movie for for a good reference for what I'm talking about. That movie, and that includes the Gollum creatures. That includes who Noah is as a as a character. Like he's got the same name as the guy in the Bible, but he's nothing like the guy of the Bible. His family, you know, same names as the people in the Bible. They're nothing like the people of the Bible. The God that Noah prays to. He's called God, but he's nothing like the God of the Bible. And yet it's packaged in such a way that this is just a retelling of Genesis. And the fact is, it's not even close to a retelling of Genesis. In fact, what it is, is it's a deliberate perversion of the story of Genesis in order to suppress what the story of Genesis actually is and cause people to think that this is what the story is. That's kind of exactly what has happened, I think, with the supernatural thing that we were just talking about. So they exaggerated. No, they didn't just exaggerate. They lied about who this God was, about what this Noah character was like. Totally recreated him in their own image. Hmm. And, you know, I had, I had heard that, uh, that, that, was, that that was the most accurate portrayal of Noah that there was. Yeah, well, that goes along with the, uh, with the propaganda machine of Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, well, that's... You know, speaking of which, um, why don't we why don't we jump into that? Uh, Your book, Conspiracy Conspiracy Theory, a Christian evaluation of a taboo subject. Let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. Since since you brought up the the deception of Hollywood and and whatnot. What what is this book about? So that's a book I've been wanting to write for a lot of years. And I've, I've, I've sat down to write it a bunch of times and it never worked. And then. Uh, late February came around and we were told that there's this virus coming and then next thing you know, NBA is canceling games and then next thing you know, we're not allowed to leave our houses and we're all going to die if we don't, you know, lock down and uh, do all the things that they're telling us to do. And I thought to myself, there's something that's not right about this. (laughs) This is weird. So, I thought, well, I wonder if I could write a book on conspiracy theories now. And uh, it came out really, really quick out of me, fastest uh, I've ever written a book. And what I didn't do was go into, like, I didn't write down 100 different conspiracy theories and then say, well, here's what the theory is, and I think this one's true, and I don't think this one is. I did, that's not what the book is. The book is really saying, let's look at the circumstances that are going on in our world, and I think they're pretty strange. And this was before any of the writing came out. So, like, how much different would it look? I tried to make it so it wouldn't look much different no matter what would continue to happen. Yeah. And I, I hope that I succeeded in that because I, I'm basically saying, look, the, the world, something's not right here. And what it's causing people to do is it's causing people to think even more about conspiracy theories than they were before this had started. And nobody is talking about conspiracy theories in terms of it. Like this, it really is a taboo thing. A lot of people are thinking about it, but they're afraid to talk about it in public. So I want to just kind of sit down and say, well, what is a conspiracy theory? Um, Have there been real conspiracies in history to do terrible things that we know are true? Um, Are there conspiracies in the Bible? Not conspiracy theories, but conspiracies. Yeah, there are conspiracies in the Bible. There was a conspiracy to kill Jesus. When Jesus rose from the dead, 
it tells us that the Jews created a story that said that they stole the disciples came in the middle of the night and stole the body. Like that's that's a conspiracy theory. <laughs> okay, so kind of give some biblical thinking, and then um, and then really just kind of sit down and say, well, how can we think rationally about this subject and not go off the deep end in terms of freaking out about our lives and making every single thing we see a conspiracy theory, but at the same time also also being honest with the things that we see around us and not being just totally gullible and like the people in 1984 and just whatever Big Brother says, we'll believe it. Um, and to say that, you know, conspiracies are real and, and uh, we don't want to go crazy with it, but also I think that I think people should be open to the fact that there are real conspiracies and, and if there's conspiracies, there's going to be theories about them and that are, that are true. And, how can we think rationally and um, logically and objectively about those kinds of things? Yeah, you know, a, a lot of people say that conspiracy theories was actually a term that was created by the CIA back when JFK was first killed. Yeah, I write about that in the book. It, so that's the kind of the harder view. I don't take that view because you can go on Google Books and you can find the phrase conspiracy theory being used as early as the 1880s. And what was that in reference to? They were just in reference to court. They were court cases is what they were, which makes sense because if somebody's conspiring and now they're on trial and so conspiracy theory. So it was not an it wasn't a positive term, but it also wasn't like the term of derision that it is now. And so it actually is true. You, I've got the document in the back of the book that that the CIA um, took the phrase that had been used. They didn't make it up. But they definitely used the phrase in such a way that they were trying to keep people from going into places they didn't want them to go with the death of JFK. That's just a fact. We have the, we have the documents, Freedom of Information Act. <laughs> yeah, and you know, there was a, um, I guess you could say that, you know, conspiracies have happened via the government long before JFK was killed. I mean, just look at Pearl Harbor, right? Like, what happened there? Absolutely. Yeah, you can go back. I have a little history chapter that goes back to actually the the, um, the fire of Rome um, with Nero, Emperor Nero, who the, the whole thing was that uh, Nero had this uh, desire to create this huge palace for himself in the middle of the city of Rome, but there was no land. So everybody knew this, and all of a sudden, a fire breaks out, and voila, all, there, there's, all this land happens to be open now, right where he wanted to build his palace. So almost right away, um, everybody thought Nero did it. And so in order to stop the rumors, what he did is he said, I didn't do it. The Christians burned down the city. And then he used that as an excuse to start killing all kinds of Christians. Total conspiracy theory 2,000 years ago. Yeah, I mean that. That's interesting. What are some uh, cons examples of conspiracies in the Bible? Can Can you give us? Uh, first time the word is used is um, the word conspiracy is used is uh, with the story of Joseph, uh, the son of Jacob. So Jacob has twelve sons, and one of them's name is Joseph, and he was the favorite son, and he loved Joseph, and uh, Joseph had a dream that. 
um, he saw basically his brothers bowing down to him, and they didn't like it. So um, they conspired to kill him. And uh, one of the brothers convinced him not to kill him, but to throw him into a pit. And uh, so they do, they do that. Then they uh, kill an animal and they take his garment from him. Coat, you know, Joseph's dream coat, his coat of many colors, whatever. And they wipe it in blood and then they send it to their dad and they say, Joseph's been killed by animals. So they conspired against their brother. Then they created a conspiracy theory that he wasn't really dead when, or that he was dead when he wasn't really dead. And now you have poor Joseph, the old dad, Who's like my my son is dead? My son is dead, and what he's done is he's believed a conspiracy theory that's not true, and only later to find out that in fact he uh, he wasn't dead, and they had lied about the whole thing. These kinds of things happen actually quite regularly in the Bible. Yeah, or I mean, just look at the the cover up of the giants existing. I mean, that's sort of a conspiracy as well. I mean, yeah, it's a modern day. Well, it might actually be an ancient conspiracy too, for sure. So, so what do you think's going on? I mean, there's so much going on in the world today. What What do you think? What do you think? I mean, it does seem odd that you know it's. It just seems odd what's going on. Like, like we can't sing in church, but we can go to a riot, I guess, or, 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 right. or go to a protest. Like, I, I mean, you're a, you're a pastor. I mean, what, yeah. what are you hearing? What am I hearing from my people? Yeah. Like, like, like what, what's your feeling about what's going on real? Like, what do you think's going on with the whole coronavirus thing? I mean, they're, they're saying this isn't even there. The numbers are getting so low now that it's not even a pandemic anymore. Right, exactly. And yet they're pushing um, kind of what people are calling 2.0, Corona 2.0. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm actually here in, uh, I'm in Alabama, and we just were watching on the news last night that a lot of the, most of the initial tests that we got were actually contaminating people with the coronavirus. Yeah, I've heard that too. I've also heard the opposite where I, saw, I read a story yesterday where a doctor was um, having a bunch of these tests, and he's like, I don't. He, he didn't believe that they were really coming up positive. Like, why should these be positive? All of a sudden, so he bought two hundred untested tests and sent them to a totally different lab, and fifty percent of them came back positive, and they they had never been tested on a single person. Well, they, they're saying here in Alabama that, that the actual thing that they were sticking down into people's noses to test yeah. them was actually contaminated, giving them the... Yeah. So, I mean, you, you hear these stories, right? And there's like a million of them. And so my, my view from a conspiracy theory point of view is that probably some of those are true and probably some of those instances are not true. And um, so really what you need to do is look really at the big picture and just see what's going on. And, you know, just think back on this this year. It's been this year has been absolutely insane, hasn't it? Uh, I mean, it certainly has. From Kobe dying to uh, Ricky Gervais calling out all those Hollywood people as pedophiles <laughs> in the, at the Golden Globes. And then you get this, you know, they're letting people out of prison. 
like hardened criminals out of prison as this thing just starts. And then you have a lockdowns around the entire world. And then you have rioting and people defunding the police. And I mean, there's like nothing about this makes sense. Yeah, they're, they're letting all these people out of prison. But I was seeing on the news this morning that some places are, if you don't wear a mask, you'll go to jail for a year. Exactly. I mean, so to me, what you need to do is you just need to sit back and be objective about the things that are, that you know are true that are happening around you. Forget the little individual stories of coronavirus testing. Like those are things we could never know, but we do know these things, right? And we know that if you were to take any other year in any of our lives, you wouldn't have one hundredth of the things happening that we see right now. And it's just thing after thing after thing after thing, and none of it makes sense. And yet it keeps happening. That says to me that we need to be looking beyond what we're hearing on the mainstream media, CNN, Fox News, telling us what to think about all this stuff. There's, there's, in other words, there's something really not good going on here. You know, we had a we had a guest on actually um, a couple weeks ago that brought up, I guess Q. Have you heard it? Have you heard of Q Anon? I have indeed. And basically, he's saying that this whole thing is 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 kind of a a war behind the scenes between, I guess, the Patriots and and the and the cabal. And what do you think of what do you think of all that? If if you if you if you know about it, could you tell us the listeners like like what you what you're hearing? Like, I don't know. Like like maybe you can kind of give us an idea of, of what, of what he's saying, what's going on? Yeah. So let me, I'll, I'll answer it this way. Um, answer it, but with the idea of media corruption, because that's really, that's one of the hearts and centers of this thing. So I don't have, I don't know if you've seen this video. Have you seen it where somebody put together a montage of like 50 or a hundred different local news channels? And they're all, they, it starts with just one person and they're giving the story. And then it cuts to a second one and then a four and then eight and then 16. And you down the line, word for word, a two minute story is absolutely identical in a hundred different uh, local news stations across the country. At word for word, it's totally freaky. Yeah. Like, this is not independent journalism. Something's wrong here. Well, it just seems like. Um all of these media companies now are owned by all the same people. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm driving at. And so back in the 90s, I forget what the name of the bill was, but it was Bill Clinton who passed some uh, law that basically um, deregulated this whole industry and allowed for massive takeovers to take place so that you could see exactly what we're seeing now. So like back in the 1980, I think the number was that there was 60 independent uh, major media groups around the country. That's still not a ton. Like if you were to go back to the 40s, you would probably find that number would be 5,000. But nevertheless, it's still quite a bit. And today, there's, it's, you get varying reports. You, there's either four or five. That's it. They own all the media in the entire country. So basically everything we hear on the news is decided by four people. That's exactly right. And so what they've been able to do is they can control how the flow of information comes out. They can give them permission on what things they will let them talk about freely, and then they will tell them 
what things they have to report. And so that creates, well, I mean, we know what it created in Russia when Lenin and Stalin uh, used Pravda to uh, deceive all their people and ended up murdering who knows how many tens of millions of people. It doesn't turn out well. And it's one of the main things that has to happen if somebody's going to try and take over a republic. It has to happen. You have to have the media on your side. So the, we're just talking. I'm just talking obje- objectively. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is what is the truth, and then start looking at what kinds of things are being driven by the media. I mean, look at masks, for example. Um, in in March, every doctor in the country, every nurse, uh, even our Surgeon General and Dr. Fauci were all saying. Yeah, masks don't do anything. And all of a sudden, it was like magic. Like somebody waved a wand, and all of a sudden, masks didn't change, but the science totally did. And now if you don't wear a mask, you're going to kill everybody. Like that's coming from somewhere, and it's coming from the media. And it's a, it's just a, it's a minute-by-minute minute just drumbeat. So who do you think's in control of the media today? I'm not entirely sure who they are. I, I think that they're they're not good. And I think they have uh, – I think this whole thing is wrapped up kind of together and the media is their uh, – it's their mouthpiece to tell the people how – that they need to be thinking and what they have to be doing. So into this, you asked about Q, right? Yeah. In this, my best explanation of what Q is is that there's a group of people – I don't know how big – um, I tend to think that the president knows about it. Um, we know that General Flynn knows about it because he just took the Q oath personally. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I saw that actually. Yeah, so, I mean, like, I think that it's a real deal. And basically what it is is uh, three or four years ago they came out late 2017 and they claimed to be basically a military intelligence drop that they were creating public intel and the purpose of it was mainly to get what are called the anons um to start looking into the intel and deciphering things and then creating memes like this so this is the this is the strategy of it best i can tell that those people then create memes and as well as you know the different platforms are on like twitter and um instagram and stuff where they effectively become an alternative news media, okay? okay. So it's, it's these, it appears to be that this is the Q people's way of circumventing the corrupt media is through the Anons, who are then disseminating the information. And sometimes they'll get the information wrong. And sometimes Q is giving disinformation because they know that bad guys are reading the boards ever, every much as, as good guys are. So you get confusion and stuff like that. But you also do you also get a basic storyline that you can discern after quite a bit of time looking into it that uh, tells you that somebody knows things at the highest possible level because they're predicting things that are coming true and it couldn't possibly be otherwise if if it was a fake so if the if the united states military intelligence is using q to go around 
the mainstream media to communicate with the American people. Uh huh. That that's very that seems that would be very dire for our country. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and that's what basically all of the anons that I uh, kind of look at and read are kind of saying, yeah, this is this is really all or nothing. That that uh, um, the uh, black hats, the the bad guys are. They're all in, um, and the white hats. Uh, this is what you purports, and it seems from everything that I've been able to see so far, really looking into, uh, re-looking into it in the last three months, is that the, the Q people know their playbook. They know what they're doing, and they're not falling into the traps that are being laid for them. So, like for example, uh, the idea seems to be over and over with the rioting that they want Trump to go into these cities unilaterally and just tear down the riots. And then what they would do is they would use that to destroy him. Look at, he's a dictator and he's not doing it. He's letting, he's letting the riots happen because he knows that constitutionally it's frankly the mayors and governor's jobs of their own States to take care of these people. And they're not doing it. Um, and so he's showing, he's showing the evil for what it is and he's letting people see it and people are feeling it. And, and that's part of what I think is causing people to, to uh, look even harder into this whole world of conspiracy theories. Like what in the world? Yeah, it's, it's definitely, I mean, that's the mother of all conspiracies, right? In some ways it is. It, it really seems to be almost a, a source like, yeah, the source, the mother of all, not all conspiracies, but, um, Certainly, quite a few of them seem to make their way into into the storyline of it. <laughs> so, so what is the basic storyline? What what is like like what is? I guess what I'm trying to say is is what do you think? What do you think's really going on? So like, I think like just there's you personally. Two- yeah, personally, I think that really what we're looking at here is a spiritual battle. Um, uh, so it's, it's actually kind of one of the good reasons we started talking about the giants and demons and angels and understanding that there are heavenly beings that have been given certain a certain kind of charge of the rule of the rule of the earth, and that they they work nations. Um, in the book of Daniel, it talks about the prince of Persia and the prince of uh, Greece. And these are very clearly heavenly princes. They're not, they're not sons of kings, okay? It's a story of, uh, of Daniel, who's the, a man of God, and he's in Babylon, and he's praying. And then all of a sudden, the angel Gabriel comes to him. And Gabriel says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm so late answering your prayer, Daniel. Um, I was fighting with the prince of Persia, and I was delayed for three weeks, and I couldn't get here. <laughs> like this is an angel talking to a guy and you go, what in the world? Yeah. So, you know, that there's a, there's a, there's an invisible war that, and an invisible world that people have to understand is truly real. And there are, there's a, there's a good God who's perfect and holy and has offered people salvation in Christ. And people can be changed if they turn to him and he's the king of the universe. And, um, you know, he's written and told us about himself in the word and he, uh, 
you know, he's on one side and he has people that are loyal to him on earth and as well as in heaven, people that he has saved. And uh, I don't know how it works in the heavenly realm, but there certainly are angels that are loyal to him. And then there are very evil, wicked forces that are not loyal to him, that have rebelled, that seek the destruction of humanity. You know, this is what Satan is embodying in the in the New Testament especially. He does not seek our well-being. So if this is true, and these these things are, are intimately involved in the nations, then what do we think? Do we think that, that there's no uh, political um, relationship to that going on in, in the kinds of things that we're seeing unfold before our eyes right now? I think we'd be foolish to think that. Yeah, you know, I, I actually, uh, my wife and I talk about it, and uh, I tell her, I, you know, as as many people in the in the world that there are that believe in God and go to church and pray, there's just as many people in the world that that worship Satan and and do satanic things, and maybe that's what we're seeing unfold in the world today. It's it's the, it seems like. Goodness, I I don't I don't I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but it seems like Satan and and the and the believers in Satan are actually the ones that are in control of our media right now, and you know it seems like Q is really Christian, like godlike. I mean, I yeah. Mean, so just from like the outside looking in, like like yeah. like it's more of a it's more of a. a it's 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 more of a good versus evil battle that, that that we've ever seen before ever, and it's unfolding right before our eyes. Yeah, that, I mean, Q casts it that way is the sons of light and the sons of darkness, which is language you find both in the New Age movement, but you also find it in the Dead Sea Scrolls and in the New Testament. So uh, there, you know, Q Q posts uh, Ephesians six and putting on the armor of God and how our uh, battle is not against flesh and blood, but against these heavenly principalities. He posted that he's posted that like three or four times. So like I don't know that Q is all Christians. In fact I would say that there's no way that it is. Um and I wouldn't I wouldn't even say that like I don't know that this is the end of all things and like Jesus is coming back because of Q or anything like that. That's too speculative to me. I think it's possible. Um I don't know that 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 uh I don't know how the spiritual side of this works on the Q, Q side of it. I do think I do tend to think that I mean I think that it's good, at least in terms of its desire to destroy true, true wickedness, which is what I think is behind um, uh, the other side of this. Like this is what the arrest of this Maxwell woman was all about last week, and what I think that's going to turn into uh, fairly soon. Uh, people are going to start to see the the real, real wickedness that's behind this. And that, it, when you dive down deep into this rabbit hole, you see that um, there, what she was arrested for, and people can go look her up themselves, because I know how YouTube likes to censor things when you don't say the right words, but um, hopefully they don't censor just for saying that word. But um, <laughs> There's no telling anymore, right. yeah. <laughs> There's lots of Maxwells in this world. Like Maxwell House, that's a coffee, right? <laughs> Can I censor me for that? Maybe they will. But uh, yeah, like when you when you go down the rabbit hole and you see what was what is really going on and what she was really arrested for, 
This is crimes against humanity. It's bad, bad stuff. Things that would shock the world and things that are deeply satanic, totally related to the spiritual realm that these people absolutely believe is real. And I think that they, they derive they derive their own power from these creatures. Yeah, you know, and, and that's that's scary to think about. Um, you know, I guess they were talking, uh, I think it was yesterday, it came out in the news that she's got all these tapes. Yeah. And of, of everything, and she's going to she's gonna use it to make deals with, yep. with the prosecutors to get her off. I mean, we're looking at, I mean, if you look at the Epstein flight logs, Yep. You're looking at a lot of powerful people that have been going down there and doing things in, in his little temple that, quite frankly, is, is evil. Yeah, there's no other word for it. It's unbelievable. Do you think that – do you think – and how does is, how is China relate to all this? Do you, do you think they're the they're the bankroll behind all this, that, 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 that foreign entities have, have – use these tapes to bribe our politicians? Yeah, I don't know about the spiritual aspect and the, um, and that, uh, you know, pedophile sort of stuff aspect of China. I just, I don't know the answer to it, but I do, I do know that the Chinese government is extremely wicked. I mean, their communism has never gone away and they murdered more people uh, in the 20th century than all the other wicked people combined and it's not even close like maybe 200 million of their own people they murdered and that government never went away and the things that they're doing to to their own citizens even today are unspeakable things the things that they're doing to christians today are unspeakable and i think that china probably is probably is bent on world domination and it's it's certainly logical to think that there's been a plan to try and subvert our government uh, that China has had and that possibly they've used a lot of our own people to help them do it. Um, that's, it seems more and more every day, just kind of the way that Trump is cracking down on China, like why China of all things, that China is probably more of a player than I actually ever thought that they were. Yeah, and and then, uh, you know, then the coronavirus comes out of China and now, now we're all on lockdown, our economy's ruined. and yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's, I think it was like a month ago, I was reading somewhere where the, the leader of China, you know, the, the main president guy over there or whatever, actually came out and said that he's ready to lead the new world order. The, yeah, one, the new world me. order, one world government. Yeah. And in order yeah. for that to happen, the United States has to fall. Absolutely. The, the United States is, is what is in the way of the one world government. And if they have all of these videotapes and they're blackmailing the the people that have gone down to Epstein Island to, to do their bidding in the political arena, we're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, if if Q turns out to be not real, which I don't think it is, I think it's I I think it's very real. But if it turned out not to be, or or another scenario is if it turned out that they lose, okay, they're real but they lose, then it's game over, I think. Like, I, I really think that we're so – I heard a guy today, he was using an analogy of poker hand. And he goes, what we've been doing is we've been playing poker for, uh, you know, the last several years, uh, maybe maybe three years, and especially the last few months. And people are – they've been bidding, you know. You bid, 
based upon what you think the other guy's going to do. But now, okay, we've gone through the turn, we've gone through the river. Now it's time to show your hand, and like so, it's it's this is it. I really think so. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I could start trying to imagine what would be a hundred times worse than what we're in now that would cause me to say, yeah, I'm just really overreacting. But I just, I can't think of it. This is crazy stuff. Now, how does, how does the times today and, 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 and all of this fall in with, uh, the book of revelation say, I don't know the answer to that. Um, and I don't speculate on it. There's different views of revelation out there that are very different from one another. So you kind of, the main view is that, uh, it's all talking about stuff in the future. But there's actually a lot of Christians that say that most of what Revelation's talking about already happened back in 70 AD with that, with the destruction of Jerusalem. So I, the more I read Revelation and the more I read different views, the more I go, I don't think I know what this book's really talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it, it just... I know it's all just so it's also mind blowing when you when you really start to think about it, you know. Yeah, it, there's no doubt that it feels apocalyptic to me what's happening, but I'm willing to say that I could be wrong about that. If you were living in Turkey in 19, I think it was 18, uh, and I forget what uh, the enemies were that came through there, but it was a total genocide, you know. They, they just they went through and slaughtered millions of people, just house to house. Well, if you're living in that, you're thinking this is the end of the world. And you'd be like, is this revelation? And it turns out, no, it was just the end of your world. <laughs> so, so what advice could you give Christians today, I guess, or, or, or anybody, on how to handle things moving forward? Number one thing I would say is that you have to be right with God. You have to know where you're going to go when you die. You have to know that there's hope um, in this world through the God who created you. You have to know that this God is sovereign over all things, that nothing is outside of his control. He is absolutely powerful over everything. And even if he allows things to happen, he still absolutely powerful over everything. And you have, you have to know that he sent the Lord Jesus so that you could be saved, not from what's happening outside this world, but from what's happening in your own heart and the sin and the rebellion that you have against him. And that even for Christians, we have to know that because we're all evil people. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And believe it or not, it's coming to the recognition of this, that, that first of all, like conspiracy theories, the greatest conspiracy theory, the greatest conspiracy out there is my own conspiracy against my God who created me, that I have to deal with, that I have to know that he's given, he's offering forgiveness through, through Jesus who died so that I could be forgiven, who, who's, who took my sins upon him when he did nothing wrong. And that he's gained the victory and he's alive and he's raised from the dead and he's the king. And there's no other story that's ever been written or told that's anything like that. You know, I don't serve a dev, dead God. I serve a living Christ who rose in front of people's 
eyes and showed himself and who went up to heaven as they watched him go. And I fully expect that he's coming back and, and, uh, there's going to be goats and there's going to be sheep and those who are on his side and believe that he is who he says and who bow their knee to him as king and who confess their sins and repent of what they've done in their own personal treason and who receive that forgiveness, they're going to know hope in this world. They're going to be able to make it through times like this because they know that, that no matter how crazy it gets out there, um, He's still in control and that he's got me in the palm of his hand and he's not going to lose me. But there's also goats and he's going to separate the sheep and the goats and the goats are going to depart to destruction. Um, And it's, you know, we've talked a little bit about hell today with the demons and stuff and it's, it's not good. Uh, That's the, I mean, that to me is the, that's the only thing that gets me through these kinds of days, you know, knowing that there's kind of a, there might be some good guys out there that are trying to fight really bad evil. That's it's a it's a temporary comfort. But if I put my hope in Q or something like that, that's that's a hope that will fail me every time. Yeah, because uh, you know even you know Q's Q to, Q's not going to be able to do anything if I mean it's the it's the people that are going to have to do it. Yeah, I mean I can't put my hope in in other people. I can't put my hope in myself. Uh, but I can put my hope in God and, and he's given me a lot of good reasons why I can do that. So I've dedicated my life to it. It's what I do. So on that note, uh, your church, is it back open? We've been open for like six weeks, I think. Do they Are they regulating you at all? Um, so we're a pretty small group. And we actually meet all of the guidelines just in our numbers alone. So we're able to just distance in the building itself. And uh, we really have not felt affected since we've returned. Here's an interesting story. We share the building with another church at, at the same time. And they had their first meeting last week. And they all came in with, um, with masks on. And most of them are pretty old. And none of us in our church have worn masks at all. And that might make some of your listeners mad, but um, we kind of feel like. Well, if, if, if the listeners I have are, are mad about people not wearing masks, they're mad already about a lot of stuff we've talked, talked about. That's probably true. They're not listening. <laughs> but it, because uh, because they, a couple of them walked in and they saw that they're like, none of you are wearing masks. And we're like, no. And uh, within, it, I mean, it was like this. It was this, uh, it's almost like it's an oppression that's over people, that they don't, they don't know how to say no to this mask thing. Like it's a, this is psychological warfare, if you ask me. I think that the mask thing is, that's one of the highest uh, purposes of the mask. It's to defeat the people in their, in their soul. And so when one particular lady saw us, she, uh, she couldn't believe it. And it was like, it was almost like we tripped her back into reality. And within 10 seconds, she starts fiddling with her mask because she's obviously not used to wearing it. And at some point soon thereafter, she just threw it off her head and said, I'm done with this. <laughs> yeah, welcome back, right? Yeah, welcome back is exactly right. Oh, man, I'll tell you. Well, uh, you want to tell the everybody where to, where to find you, where, where they can 
get your book and, and your websites and everything? Sure. Um, let's see. Our church is rbcnc.com. So we're the Reformed Baptist Church of Northern Colorado. We're up uh, kind of in the Boulder-Longmont area north of Denver. And uh, I get that address out. I mean, not I mean, somebody might be interested in coming, but uh, more that I have all my sermons online there. And I talk about a, a lot of this stuff. And, like, if you can look up a, a passage, you might go to that website and see, well, has he talked about this in that passage? Has he talked about it? So it's a helpful resource. It's, a, it's both audio and most of our are also in PDF, so you can read them. And then uh, my personal webpage is DougVanDorn.com. And uh, so I've got all my books that are up there, and they're all linked to Amazon. And um, so I, I go through Amazon to to publish them and they're in Kindle and paperback, all of them. So yeah, I got books on giants and on the angel of the Lord and uh, the unseen realm and, uh, uh, Christ in the old Testament and just and some more th- theological things too. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, just a quick question for you before I let you go. We, we just did a show on uh, reincarnation. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I don't think that the Bible teaches reincarnation. Uh, kind of the big verse for that is he, in Hebrews. I think it's Hebrews 10. It says it's appointed once for man to die, and after that is the judgment. So I believe that each of us is created. Uh, we're created out of nothing when we're conceived by God, and we're given a body and a soul at that time. And and then when we die, uh, then our soul will go on uh to live um, in, in one of two places, and that the great hope of the Christian is not that we'll be reincarnated, but that we will be returned to our physical bodies, but that our physical bodies will have been transformed um, so that they will they will uh, be fit for eternity. So, um, you know, this is what we see with Jesus. You know, he dies, and then he's resurrected, and then he shows himself to the disciples, and there's like there's something that's not the same because they don't recognize him. But then there's something that is the same because like Thomas says, I won't believe it unless I feel your hands and the side spear in your side. So he lets him do that. So in other words, it's the same person. It's the same body. But Jesus's body has been changed. He can walk through walls. He can disappear and reappear. Um, seems to be able to go from place to place uh, in a second, like different sort of a thing. So that's the great hope. And if we were reincarnated, like which one of the hundred thousand different people's bodies would I be resurrected in? You know, there would, I don't know how you can have, I don't see how resurrection and reincarnation at the end of the day are really compatible because reincarnation just like you, you just keep coming back and back and back and back until you get it right, I guess, like if you're a Hindu and then you just kind of go into Brahman and Brahma and then you're like, absorbed into the one essence and then that's kind of it <laughs> for i don't know i don't know like maybe there's three people that have ever done that or something not, not many get to do that they just keep coming back and back until they get it right yeah to me that's not a very hopeful thing all right awesome pastor i i appreciate you coming on i i you know it was a great conversation man i, I really appreciate you you taking the time to talk to us i know you're probably really busy Thank, thanks a whole bunch for for you know for talking to us today. Really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you found me. I'm glad we were able to have a chat, and you, you actually let me 
talk and uh i don't know what you thought of the things that i was saying you might think i'm completely nuts or whatever but no you know i I wouldn't have had you on if i wasn't interested in in what you had to say that's for sure well i'm i'm glad to be here and i and i am thankful for you uh hosting it and and letting me be on the show all right and uh this is conflict radio we'll be right back right after this and welcome back that was an interesting show I guess there's not really much more to say following that up than be sure to subscribe to us on the Conflict Radio Network on YouTube. And until next time, be safe.